Blog Talk Radio. Marcia Joyner, host of Betrayed by Hospice, brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit and our producer, Marty Oakley. This program provides an open forum for people to express what happened to their loved ones under the guise of compassionate care, as well as professional guests who can perhaps shed light on what is happening and what they can do to help. Thank you for joining us as we begin our fourth year of this program warning people about the dangers of trusting the medical profession without doing your own research. As I often say, knowledge is power. We provide resources to you during the program to assist you in your journey. And I know we're all praying that 2022 brings more good news than bad because we've certainly had enough bad. For those of you who listen to the program regularly, you may have noticed my absence for a few months. My dad was diagnosed with dementia and required constant care that precluded me from spending time necessary to interview guests and host this program. I learned a lot about dementia and what a horrible disease it is, and I plan to devote some shows about dementia in the future. So if you've had experience in this field, please reach out to me. Sadly, I lost my dad on October the 3rd of this last year, 2021, but without hospice intervention or their so-called help. I added a comment to that effect in his obituary, and it was met with trepidation from one person who felt that I shouldn't attack an organization in that forum, and my dad wouldn't have wanted that. I thought, really? Obviously, he didn't know my dad as well as he thought. My dad was aware that my mom was murdered in Georgia in June of 2017 at the hands of unscrupulous hospice staff who prematurely ended her life with toxic drugs. She wasn't dying. I was not remotely prepared for what happened to her as we tried everything we could think of to save her, and they lied to us. We were in a world we didn't understand where money was more important than life and death was more acceptable than treatment. And so what kind of world is that where that's possible, which is rhetorical because many people have seen a lot of inhumanity over their life, and especially this past year. It was this experience about my mom that led me on the journey to seek truth and share to warn others so they don't experience what our family did and thus this program was created. And one more comment about my dad's obituary. Why wouldn't anyone take any opportunity to spread the truth about an organization that has flown under the radar and touted how compassionate they are when people sign up and they have no clue what is going to happen to their loved one without any consent? And all circumstances are different on how long they allow you to remain on the hospice rolls. 
Once hospice convinces the family that they're compassionate and they only want the patient's best interest, it's the beginning of the end. But hospice wasn't always like this. In 1967, a little bit of history, Cicely Saunders created hospice to assist the actively dying by providing minimal pain relief. But it was never meant to drug a person into a coma, causing death from toxic drugs, starvation, and dehydration. Nor was it meant for people who could be treated for an illness. And you would be shocked at what actually qualifies a patient for hospice, but we won't go into that tonight. The patient and the family are not notified what will happen once they start drugs like morphine, Ativan, fentanyl, Haldol, Seroquel, as well as many other drugs. They use a one-size-fits-all, and our loved ones pay the ultimate price, their life. Not all hospices are bad. Not all of them do premeditated murder, but most of them do. We're not aware of many that do not. The fact is that our elderly are being called for euthanasia, and in many cases, as you will hear tonight, they are also put under guardianship, and their accounts and estates are drained of their funds, and once the money is gone, they too face euthanasia. This is what is occurring, and it's not just for the elderly. At age 65, most people decide to opt in to Medicare and Medicaid and become a burden to states' funding and thus become expendable if you require a lot of medical care. Hundreds, thousands of people have experienced this betrayal, but many people have no, no clue that it happened to their loved ones. And maybe they're the lucky ones because they don't know. But what I do know is it's imperative people know before it happens so they can prevent it from happening, and that's why we talk about it. And that's what this program is about. And yet, sometimes a family member is complicit, as we've heard from previous guests. There is an excellent book by a former hospice respiratory therapist, Michelle Young Dewars, titled Killing for Profit, The Dark Side of Hospice, that gives you other life stories about hospice betrayal to their patients and their families. Michelle is a warrior who cared more about her patients than protecting hospice, and she gives us a rare insight into the reality. Her book will also explain why it is that some people are kept alive longer than others, as I mentioned before. And another good resource is halovoice.org that is helpful in understanding and seeking help. They have examples of life-affirming medical proxy documents that you can use to protect your loved one. They have a helpline, 1-888-221-4256. And this helpline is manned by, or woman, whichever, that by people who know what's going on and perhaps have had it happen to them. So if you want to help and you are aware of what is going on with hospice or a medical profession and you want to answer questions, they give you booklets and give you information. So contact that number and offer to help them. Recently, um, I believe it was in November or maybe it was even December, in New Zealand they just passed a law that if a patient has COVID, the doctor can determine their life isn't worth saving and they can euthanize them with a lethal jab. 
the doctors receive an additional government fee of $1,000 for each one of these. As you hear often, follow the money. The government saves, the facilities make, and we pay the ultimate price, life. In regards to this new law in New Zealand, Baroness Finlay, a professor, uh, this is very important, very insightful, I thought, um, a professor of palliative medicine said, this euthanasia law contradicted the fundamental purpose of medicine to heal the sick. She stated, it is bizarre that a country that has been trying to protect its citizens by closing down from a virus from which people can recover is now suggesting these patients should be killed by their doctors. She states, you can't predict death, so why not support them while they may be dying and just maybe they will defy the odds and recover? How perfectly stated. Obviously, there are some who are challenging this new law, and we support their efforts. In November, there was another case of a 90-year-old Canadian woman who chose to die by assisted suicide rather than endure another COVID lockdown. Euthanasia or assisted suicide, decisions made by doctors, nurses, or family members, have the same outcome. Someone who might have a longer life if treated will die under these barbaric laws. And don't think the United States is any better because it's happening here too. I'm sure you've heard about New York City, what happened in the nursing homes when COVID came in and was running rampant. Hospice was called in to offer help because they were familiar with this, and those people died also. And this isn't the first time it's happened. No, no, no. This has been going on for decades under the radar. But now people are actually starting to see and speak out, as our guest will do in one minute. The truth is hard to swallow, but if we do not face it, we cannot protect ourselves and others from what will ultimately happen to all of us. It's just a matter of time. Tonight, our guest is Becky Harbour, who will share her husband Herschel's demise with us. They were married for 31 years, and he was only 65 when he died on September the 14th, 2021. This story shows how guardianship leads to the end of someone's life and why timing is everything. She will walk you through the medical decisions, the deceit, lies, guardianship, and charges brought against her to scare her from taking action. The story begins in Georgia and moves to Florida while Becky tries to do what is best for Herschel in spite of the medical smoke and mirrors. Becky, I'd like to open it up to you and let you tell us what happened to Herschel and the warnings for you have for our audience tonight. And can you start by talking about Herschel's stroke that he had in February of 2020? Sure. Um, my husband had... a my name is Becky Harbor, and my husband was Herschel Harbor, and he had a massive stroke in February of 2020. Um, the stroke would uh, leave him quite unable to, in other words, he wasn't what he was before, but he had quality to life. He had his mind. He, he knew everything. He was very aware but very early on, I was asked to bring in hospice. 
I was told that he would be taken to the fourth floor at Emory University Hospital in Atlanta, that the ventilator, he was on a ventilator at the time, would be removed and that he would never know anything. And I answered back that I would know and I would have to tell him and I already knew his decision and that is not what is going to happen. At that point, my husband was taken to a rehab, which was Emory LTAC in Decatur, Georgia. And from there, he had complications. COVID hit. I wasn't allowed to see him anymore along with anybody else. It was total lockdown. And that's when the real problems began uh, because I knew my husband's condition like the back of my hand. And um, I knew things that were going on in there because I never left him. So I had seen um, short staffing, different things, and I just knew that it wouldn't be a good idea to leave him. And with that being said, um, he did end up in trouble. He had a 29 white blood cell count. I went up to Emory. I said, I want to see him and do not ask me if it was just coincidence or if it was just that I, that I knew him that well. I just, I have no idea. But the ambulance was called. My husband, the end result was he was taken to ICU back to Emory in downtown Atlanta. The same doctors that took care of Jimmy Carter took care of him. Uh, the doctors there called him their baby. They, they did. They babied him. They took excellent care of him. And in September of 2020, he was ready to, to be moved from the hospital and go to a rehab. I had my mother, who was 94, his mother, who was 87, both stroke victims. So we made the decision to move Herschel to Brooks Rehab in Jacksonville, Florida, where I would have both moms near him and I could have caretakers take care of them and I could take care of him. Just an easier situation. My husband did wonderfully well at Brooks Rehab, but he had a setback about eight weeks into the program and he was sent to the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. From there, a team of doctors did an extensive study and they said that my husband needed the CPAP at nighttime to remove high CO2, that he was no longer able to move, remove the high CO2 levels by himself, that he needed this CPAP at night. Mm -hmm. And immediately we saw a big difference in Herschel. He was much better. And by the time that he left the Mayo um, to go to the rehab in Daytona Beach, Florida, he was well on his way to recovery. Um, not what he used to be, but his new normal. He was, he was doing very well for his new normal. And at that time, we entered Select Specialty Hospital in Daytona, and on the second day, I was informed we had no rights, that I was not there to be trained on how to bring my husband home on a CPAP. In fact, I was even laughed at. I was told, you were here for your husband to be weaned, and I knew that my husband was going to be in very bad trouble because I had already seen what would happen to him without the CPAP. Eight days went by, and I made a decision with the hospital staff to have him removed the next day back to the Mayo. And the, when I went to get him with my own private ambulance, uh, he was not allowed to leave. They, they stopped. 
the, the select specialty stopped him from leaving. At that time, I could take no more. I called the police. I called Medicare. I called Adult Protective Service, which would be my biggest downfall. I had no idea of the danger of calling Adult Protective. I thought it was to help me. That situation was turned around on me, and Herschel was taken to a state-run hospital. We were used to the Mayo. We were used to Emory. We were not used to a state-run hospital that said, we don't have bandages. We don't have a sheet that will fit this bed. It was a whole new environment for us. I was told immediately that Mayo orders would not be followed, that he would not be given the CPAP. And I was tortured to watch what the results were. Um, I began to fight back. I tried to leave. I tr my husband wanted to leave. We were, we were in it together. And a 415 order was placed on him by Adult Protective that said that he needed a case manager through Adult Protective to oversee his care. Um, I, some ridiculous story was made up about me that, um, that I was interfering with his care and that I would be trespassed from the hospital. And on February the 23rd, um, would be the beginning of the end. I would never see my husband again. Um, at that point, he stayed in there in the hospital until about April the 24th. And I was told during the time from February 23rd to April 24th that, if, that no Medicare facility would take my husband. Um, and that I would have to pay a $210,000 fee, uh, cash money, if I wanted him to not become a ward of the state of Florida and to, uh, you know, bring him back over to Georgia to a private care facility. I, a long story would happen in between. I paid the money. The end result, he was sent over into Georgia, and immediately that promise that I would get my husband back was no longer valid. A guardianship was applied for by Halifax Hospital and Florida APS. They came across state lines out of their jurisdiction. Um, they just crucified me that I could not be around my husband, and they were very successful at it. Um, he would, the end of the story would be, uh, that and of course there's a lot in between. I'm just trying to stay on the bullet points, and that would be that um, he this private facility was not the level of care. He was sent to a hospital in Henry County, Georgia, which I now know is known for their guardianships um, on their their you know establishing guardianships through APS. There is a profit for them doing so. Um, and at that point, he was sent to Emory, back to Emory LTAC, where he was in the very beginning. And Adult Protective Service kept the guardianship over him. And the problem with Adult Protective is they do not have the knowledge um, of medical, uh, I mean, just nothing about medical 
or, or psychiatric or psychological knowledge of a patient. They're just put in there. I mean, I'll give you an example. The case management worker, I said, I'm worried my husband is going to die without me. And she says to me, this is the case manager with APS, Miss Harbor, your husband can't die. He's on a ventilator. So, I mean, that's how much medical knowledge that she had um, and, and, of course, was not even alarmed by 29 white blood cell count, um, just various things um, that would come out in an autopsy that I had done on my husband. But at the end of the day, the last week of his life, a daughter that he had not seen in 16 years who openly admitted to me, I do not love my father, I do not care about him like you and his brother do, was brought into the picture, and she took my husband to hospice, and it was in three days he was given, um, I assume, the cocktail, because they, they know exactly when they're going to die. There's no other way they could know that. Uh, the ventilator was removed, and he died alone. He died without his wife. He hadn't seen me in seven months. Um, I would know through research after it was all said and done that five couples in the last six months in the same Florida area that my husband was taken, the exact same playbook was used on them. The only difference is for their um, criminal uh, complaint or eventually an arrest on 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 some of them and then others it's just a, an APS complaint uh, would be the poison trick that's very well known in Georgia and Florida adult protective will say you've given your husband poison and without any proof that your spouse is removed from you and uh, you never see them again um, these five cases uh, would be Richard Herring in Live Oak and Swanee County Pete Beatty in Polk County, Thomas Perrick in Seminole, uh, my husband in Volusia, and Chris and Kim in Ho uh, Anthony in Hollywood, which is Broward County. All five um, were taken in this same manner in the last six months. Um, three of them died by hospice. Miss Perrick never saw her husband again. He was given the cocktail. Uh, the same as um, uh, Pete Betty, Beatty. Uh, this was a very wealthy rancher. Uh, he owned uh, just uh, miles of ranch land. Uh, this, this wealthy uh, businessman, rancher, uh, died alone, doesn't even have a headstone on his grave. So it's just tragic um, what is going on out there. And... I think it's it's best um, if we focus on, you know, what could I have done to change this? Had I known what I know now, what could I have done to change it? And there is so many things. The Department of Justice should have been called right away. Um, the American Disability in um, uh, with the Department of Justice, that separate division should have been called. Um, American Disability Act uh, in Tallahassee, Florida. I should have reached out to them. These are all the things that we don't know. We, I didn't know Florida statute. I didn't know the governor's mandate. All these things 
that we can educate ourselves and for you not to believe the brainwashing technique that you are told over and over again, this is an isolated case. This is such an unusual case is the judge's favorite statement or even your own attorney's statement. Well, well, this is such an unusual. No, it's not. It's one of many that is the playbook is the same. It's over and over. It is Medicaid, isolate, defamation of the family, steal the estate and take, remove the DNR, remove the power of attorney, remove the advanced medical directive, and take this patient to hospice. It's the same playbook, Marsha. And you're absolutely correct. Um, Something you just said, I want you to step back one second. You had power of attorney. You had medical power of attorney over Herschel. They did not listen to you. Um, Many times during this, Herschel was awake, he was aware, and he had already expressed that he did not want a DNR. He wanted to live. So this is not somebody during that. I want to make sure people understand. During this period of time, from February to 2020, he was aware of what was going on. He was not in a coma. He had his mind, and he was talking, and he wanted to live. He was getting, as you pointed out, he was getting better when he was going to the rehab facility. Yes. This is a situation where I want you to talk to them about the ambulance. When the ambulance came and they were going to pick him up the first time and then told you he could not leave. I'd like for you to talk about that as well as the ambulance when they brought him back from the hospital to the facility, which is when you were charged the second time. So can you touch on that? That's correct. So when whenever the CPAP was removed from Herschel and I saw the results and I was in just complete panic because I had seen this prior, just months, and I'd seen the result from this team of doctors at the Mayo. So I make ambulance arrangements to have Herschel removed. Everything is all in text and emails from Matt Rossi, who is the head of select specialty, He's, he's on board. Everything is to go at 10 a.m. that morning, the next morning. I get there, and they send me back. They don't tell me. They, being Matt Rossi with Select, sends me back to the hotel, says, come back later on this afternoon. We just don't have him ready right now. And I do feel like something's wrong, but I do what he asked me to do. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, we go, I go back to the hotel. I come back around 4 and I see my husband, and he is hooked up to a ventilator. And I'm like, what is my husband doing on a ventilator? Uh, I mean, on, on a CPAP. I, I, I didn't, not ventilator, CPAP, in CPAP mode. And they said, that because you ordered it, Miss Harbor. And I said, no, you know that I am supposed to leave here and that this ambulance is on the way. You need to disconnect that. The ambulance, I just talked to them. They're on their way. The ambulance comes up and they are sent away by the CEO of Select Specialty. So you automatically know something's terribly wrong because you've never seen this CEO in the picture, and he all of a sudden he's here. So right. at that point is when I think I've called the police. I now know because I know the whole story now where at the time I didn't know anything. 
So I would know that the, it wasn't really a police that came up there. Even though I dialed 911, they sent a, an impersonator up there. He was no more than a security guard at, at the hospital, which was Advent, because Select Specialty is a hospital within a hospital. So at that point, um, he tells me, you're going to have to, you're, you know, you can't have an ambulance come up here. And I believed him. I now know that's not true either. And so I believed him, and I said, no problem. My husband's not, I mean, you know, we're going. I, I made up my mind we're going. We're going back to the Mayo. So we get downstairs, and the ambulance tells me, you're not going anywhere out of Daytona Beach. And I said, well, then where are we going? And we'll just go right here to this hospital. See that emergency room sign over there? We'll go there. My husband's in trouble. He says, no, no, the man says you can't go to this emergency room. Well, that's a violation of EMTALA. Everybody knows that. You have to, wherever you ask to go, you're supposed to be given. I mean, remember, I'm thinking, you know, we need to get out of here. My husband's in an emergency situation. And Mm -hmm. so he says, no, you can't go there. So that's when we are hauled off to a state-run hospital, which I now know was a complete setup. It was part of the plan, but I didn't know it at the time. And so that's where we would be captured. And another thing to really bring on point from any listeners is that do your homework. If I would have just read the reviews on Halifax Hospital, there's several in there. There's a one guy, Larry Lyles, and he describes my situation to the T. He says the panic came over me when they told me that I had to leave my fiance. We were from out of town. We were from North Carolina. They accused me of giving her drugs. The next review says the security guard, watch out for them. They make up stories on you. And that is, that's part of the playbook that is going on in so many of these hospitals now that if they want to tell you that they're going to trespass you from that hospital because they need to cover up something, that's exactly what they do, and they get by with it. I mean, they literally trespassed me three months while I had an attorney that was charging me close to $50,000, and even he didn't know the statute and and the Department of Justice rules and the governor mandate, or if he did, he didn't do anything about it. So what I'm saying is education is everything. I mean, knowledge knowledge is power. Right, Marsha. Knowledge is power. That's right. That's right. Yep. And you have to do your research before you get into a situation because when you get in that situation, you're not, to begin with, none of us is thinking that they're out to get us, that they're going to hurt us. Whether you're in a medical profession or you're in hospice, you're not thinking that, they're not going to take care of me. I, I can tell you that I'm terrified to go to a hospital. I, I oh, will yeah. not go. I, no. I don't know what's going to happen if, you know, if I get in a situation where I really need one, but I am terrified. I do not trust them because I see too much that goes on, and people are naive to think that, oh, well, I'm going to go there and they're going to take care of me. You cannot count on that, and as you said, you need to check the reviews at that place. Yes. Now, you did a second ambulance, one of the ambulances that you had to pay for, and you were told you could ride in the ambulance. Is that the first one? 
that'd be the second time when Herschel was finally released. I paid the $210,000 extortion fee. Uh, I would end up holding back about 60000 so I want to report it accurately that I would end up putting out about uh, 150000 extortion fee because that was all just a lie. That was another setup. I mean, he, of course, a Medicare facility would take him, but I was so desperate for him until, mm-hmm. you know, I would, do, I would have paid anything. I'm going to tell you, I would have paid anything to get my husband back. And, exactly. and so, yeah, because, I mean, the money that I gave up, was you know going to be my security when my husband died and right. um and that's the way he had it set up he wanted that and with that being said i mean it shows how much i mean because if i didn't love him or if i hadn't have just desperately wanted him back i would have said well just keep him over there you know i mean i don't that's care what exactly you do right yeah so you um, were trespassed and they you were told that you were a danger to him sure. and a nurse fabricated some story you know, when you tried to see Herschel from a distance, and when you saw him, what state was he in? What did he look like when you saw him after from February until April? Uh, it was shocking. Yeah, I, I, he was. He was. Uh, he did recognize me. He was reaching for me. It was pitiful. He was reaching for me when he was taken out of the ambulance. And I am kind of putting the cart before the horse here. So, so in other words, the I was told that if I would pay the ambulance fee, which was about $5,500, that I would get to ride in the ambulance with my husband. That was another setup. They had me pay it in Jacksonville, Florida, the night before. And then the 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 ambulance was to pick me up in Jacksonville because remember I had been trespassed from Halifax and didn't want to go down to Daytona anyway. I just wanted to capture, I mean, catch the the van in Jacksonville and ride back with my husband because I hadn't seen him in three months. And the APS worker and the Halifax Hospital social worker, they worked together to keep that from happening. They called the which I think it was already in the making. But they made out like they had just told him, and he called me, and he said, the ambulance driver owner, he said, uh, Liberty Ambulance in Jacksonville, he said, you not only cannot ride in the van, but if you follow it, it's not going to be a good situation for you. So with that being said, I called my lawyer, and he made arrangements with this this um, TBI owned by an Egyptian uh man in um in in uh henry county georgia he 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 made an arrangement that i would get to see my husband because i didn't get to ride in the van five minutes before he was taken into the building and by the way that was one of the i don't really believe there's another facility in georgia that had lockdown at that point other than this facility so this was hand-picked where I wouldn't be able to be with my husband. Mm-hmm. And so what they were covering up, uh, I'll touch base on in the end because I wouldn't find out till the autopsy. So, so what happened was when he got out of the van, he recognized me, and he was reaching for me, and he was smiling. He looked very frail, very thin. Uh, he was his hair was long and matted. He had a long beard. You could tell he hadn't been taken care of, but he was very alert. 
And he reached for me, and they all began to laugh, and they pushed him into the building, and I didn't get my five-minute visit. Mm-hmm. And uh, so cool. at that point, oh, yeah, it was, I mean, the torture was, was, it is so inhumane to know what went on until you really can't let yourself think about it uh, right. because you couldn't make it through it if you did. Yeah. Right. And and right. and so and so survival becomes you learn how to survive the pain. And um so um I did get to see him through a window. Um his brother would say, you know, this is like going to look at an animal in the zoo. This is so inhumane. I can't stand to do this. And so it would be that the facility was not the level of care, nowhere near the level of care that my husband needed. And also he was sent in grave condition. It would be me when I would finally get access to his medical records through a portal four days later, and I would say, do you realize what serious shape my husband is in? And, and TBI nurse says, we can't believe what you tell us. And I said, well, I'm going to go get the records. And I went and I printed them up, and I brought them, and they took him to the hospital immediately, and he spent eight days there. Mm-hmm. And they did not know that I could see that portal at that hospital. So I knew that my husband was in very grave condition and may not make it. And so I went to an attorney, and I walked into the attorney's office, and this is very important for anybody that is even thinking about getting a probate attorney. This attorney acted like he was on my side, that he would help me. He says, oh, my goodness, uh, we can get a writ of habeas corpus. You have an advanced medical directive in Georgia. If they take an advanced medical, he said, that goes straight to the Supreme Court. He took me in to probate court which it was for a writ of habeas corpus and did not let me know that every player from Florida was going to be there. Uh, they had crossed over there out of their jurisdiction, and APS was there, Halifax Hospital, all covering up a lawsuit. That's what it was all about. They needed to keep me out of the picture. And so that's how they did it. And the judge took okay. away every one of my rights, every one of my rights that day. Okay, hold on here. We've got a caller coming in uh, from area code 239. Did you have a question or a comment for Becky? Uh, Marty, this is Peggy. I can wait until 9 o'clock because I'm still oh. listening to Becky's story. Okay, sounds good, Peggy. Go ahead, Becky. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. And for everybody else, we'll open this up for calls to come in because I know we've got several people that are interested in calling in. Um, I just want to give Becky an opportunity to finish telling her story, and then we will open it up for people because she's got a lot of information that I think is very important. Um, the next thing that would happen, and I, I'm almost – I can finish this up. Um, the next thing that would happen would be TBI had a lot to cover up. They were furious. That would be the Egyptian owner. His name was El Sawi. He wanted $60,000 that he had been promised. I told him, you are not going to get that $60,000. This is not the level of care. You're not letting me see my husband. This is not going to happen. And at that point, he had a, at 4 o'clock that afternoon, he had one of his workers meet me. And she said, if you do not pay up that money, this is going to be very bad for you. 
Two days later, my husband was taken to Henry Medical Center, and they would not let me see him. And I, I met the ambulance when they brought him back to TBI, the, the, this, the, the level of care facility that he shouldn't have been at. And this nurse, her name was Sunita Coe. She had not only a past criminal record, but a current criminal record in the same uh, county that she said that I did her same crime. Uh, three, she, she has three felonies. She's lost her license in California, um, Tennessee, and Michigan. And it is very scary to know that she was even a nurse. And she made up that I tried to take a trait collar from my husband, and they they literally had me arrested. Never indicted, because, I mean, I don't know how in the world they're going to ever indict me, but they never indicted me. They just arrested me, but that was enough. It cost me almost $10,000. And um, I never saw my husband again, like I said. Um, you know, the, the story would just... They would just take this ball and run with it. I mean, gas, light, like you cannot believe. And it's like I said, they'd have you believe that you're such an unusual case. Every one of these cases, I don't care whether it's CPS, APS, they come up with these bizarre crimes, and they're, they're given immunity. So, I mean, they, they can lie all they want. Well, sure, and the judge is going to listen to them, and as we've seen in, you know, Marty's done lots of shows on guardianship, and as we've seen in Pennsylvania and throughout, the judge and the attorneys are in on it. They know exactly what's going on, and yes. they are going to back up and support the, you know, the, the doctors and the hospitals. Yes. They're not yes. there to support you. No, no, not at all. And it's it's a crime against humanity, and if our listeners do not realize that this is not, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when the Hippocratic Oath was signed and it meant something, it doesn't. We've seen that. This past year is total proof of what is going on in our country. The Hippocratic right. Oath means nothing. You now, can be another... forced. You know, it's my body, my choice. If you don't, you know, if you want to go have an abortion, it's my body, my choice. If it's That's, something with um, taking a vaccine, it's not my body, my choice. I mean, we've seen this. So we've you're seen absolutely it. right. The judge is not going to be supporting you, no. the patient. No. In fact, with my case, we even brought forth the um, the actual, the only witness who was the ambulance driver himself and um, and he said it very clearly in front of the judge. Miss Harbor did not do what she was accused of, of. Of this nurse said that she did. She did not do that. And do you know that that judge still would not let me be with my husband when he died? It was malicious. It was mm-hmm. malicious. I mean, there and it was put out by Halifax Hospital and APS. Uh, the guardian ad litem is your biggest enemy. They'll they'll say, oh, the guardian ad litem is supposed to be neutral. No way. The guardian mm-hmm. ad litem literally asked my husband, do you want to keep living? And he goes and tells, the guardian ad litem says, Mr. Harbor wants to keep living, and he is being given excellent 
care. And, you know, of course, the guardian ad litem, he is the um, the uh, head of the Police Benevolent Association where I was arrested. He's also a criminal defense attorney. And when the, when the ambulance driver says, Miss Harbor, I was the only person there. Miss Harbor did not do this. And then, then the guardian ad litem says, I don't believe that. And that's because on June 16th, when my husband was taken into the guardianship, he was in actual uh, worse shape than when he was taken to hospice and killed, the, I mean, and murdered. So, so the point is, is that he was kept alive for three months while we fought back and forth and 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 all the fees were at about a, over a hundred thousand dollars, and that's not including the two ten extortion I paid. Well, one fifty. So right at three hundred thousand uh, dollars was spent on this ridiculous guardianship that should have never been. I mean, my husband, I was power of attorney, I was advanced medical, and I was his wife. That is that is right. a contract was broken. I was his wife. And well, so isn't didn't they get paid by Medicare anyway? I mean, it's not like the the money that they extorted from you was the only funds they got. Didn't he tell you at one time your husband has run up two million dollars? Oh so yes. How they're about getting that? paid they were getting paid by Medicare and your pro- yep. husband probably had an additional health he insurance policy. Okay. He did. So they were getting their money. I, I cannot fathom how they got away except that this is dirty play well i don't think they're going to get away Uh, halifax hospital has one of the biggest medicare frauds in the state of florida uh where i mean they were almost put out of business for their medicare fraud and they literally with no doubt in my mind put my husband on a ventilator to collect two million dollars he was not bent dependent he was not even vent dependent when he had a massive stroke. He wasn't vent dependent when he went into their hospital. But the minute that they got me out of the picture on February 23rd, right before that, I started to see that they had made him vent dependent, and I, was, I knew the truth. They knew I knew my husband's medical condition. They knew I knew met those white blood cell counts. There was no way they were going to let me stay there and be a witness as to what's going on. No way. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. And they had to shut you up by arresting you and trespassing you. Yep, and And they kept it going. They kept it going. In other words, in other words, in all these cases, um, in the in the um, Richard um, Herring case in Swanee, same thing. They kept the wife from seeing her husband for four years. Now, when we brought in Florida statute. And we sent uh, Tallahassee um, guardianship office down into Swanee. All of a sudden, she got to see him after four years, the same as the, um, as the uh, Thomas Parrott case with Maria Parrott. She wasn't allowed to see her husband for five months. But when we brought in Florida statute and we, and we called the nursing home and said, Governor, mandate, do you realize what you're doing here? That's whenever she got in to see her husband. And I just think for anybody listening that's been taken under a guardianship and knows that their destination is hospice, because it is hospice, I can promise you that, yes. um, you, you know, then, then that's whenever, you know, you're going to see your difference. 
Um, you, you've just got to know your rights. Like you said, Marcia, you couldn't say if anything on this program, you could say knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you, and for our audience, when Becky is talking about this, about the five other people in Florida, she has reached out to people. She's been in contact with them. And when she says, we got them to do this and we went and we showed, she means she physically goes to Florida and has talked to these people and she is helping other people get access to their loved ones because she cares and she knows what happened to her husband. Her her husband was just euthanized in September and he wouldn't have been had he been given the proper care all along he would have been able to come back home with Becky that's exactly right and then furthermore Marsha if he was going to die he would have had his wish to come to his home and we would have brought in palliative care to help us through the process which would have been a slow process it would not have been one where you're given the cocktail the vents removed and in three days you know um, you know he's gone he's gone by himself and he never knew what happened to me he never knew what happened no. to me. No, because he didn't see you again. And they could have told him anything. She doesn't want to come here. They could have told him anything. And the fact that they would bring a daughter in who he had not talked to, who did not care about him for 16 years, and put her in position over you to make those decisions, you didn't want them to give him that cocktail. You were not given a choice. It was done against you even though you had medical power of attorney. That's exactly right. And remember, they always bring in the most Um, adverse of the situation in all three of the other wives that I've named there they step the the uh, well you know they're our stepdaughters are brought into the picture and then you know they haven't seen their daddy in forever they openly admit I don't love him I you know I care about him as a human being but I don't love him you know, per se, I don't have a relationship Mm -hmm. with him. So it's very easy to go in there and say, I mean, she actually sends me, this is the daughter, sends me a text of which hospice do you want him to go to? Either make up your mind now or I'm going to do it for you. I mean, this is the kind of abuse you put up with. Um, And it's just, it's just unbelievable. I mean, it's unbelievable. And then they, they suck this person in and God knows what they promise them to use them because they use them as the tool to kill the person where it won't be on them. See, in other words, because you're, you know, they've got, they've got somebody who's giving them permission to euthanize the person. Um, exactly. We have a caller um, on the line. Do we want to go ahead and take that call? You actually have two. And, okay, um, Becky. If you want to, Peggy is one, and then we have a okay. second caller from area code 239. Um, so what do you want to do here? Okay, Becky. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, you want to go? to the area code 239, is that one of the people that you are aware of that may call in tonight from Florida? Yes, that one is, and then there's a second one from that same area code. No, I don't recognize, but let's take, let's take the call. I don't recognize 239. Okay, just whichever one, Marty, okay. is fine. Okay. Peggy? Uh, yes, Marty. 
I'm calling from a Florida yes. telephone number. Uh, Becky, I would like to okay. give my condolence to you and what happened to your husband is very terrible. And uh, thank you for being uh, brave to come on and give detailed information about uh, the tragic uh, incidents that happened to your husband. And, you know, the one word that I can say after listening to this detailed story that you give tonight, it's racketeering and it's terrible. And that is what has drove us to uh, start this business, USC, USA Guardianship Task Force, to help victims like you in civil actions that are crimes are committed in DCF and guardianship cases. So, you know, with us working together, we're going to be able to expose this among thousands of other victims. This is the same MO. I listened to your story detailed tonight. And, you know, they're doing it to all victims. I was in the same similar situation with you at the hospital. They, what they do is they do that protective order so they can fill the hearing so the, the, the family members are not even aware this is taking place. You get to the hospital. They block you. You can't get in. You don't know what's going on. You call your attorney for assistance. But, see, the attorney of yours already knew about the protective care, but they it's closed doors. It's it's between the attorneys and the judges. They're all in bed together. They know about the protective orders in place, and normally when they do that is when the hospital is liable for some kind of injury to the patient, and that's why they have to do this protective order. Yes. That is very they, true. And I just wanted to say one thing, uh, and I don't want to get in, Becky, because it's very important for her to tell her story. I just wanted to share with the viewers, Marty, our website, that all victims can contact us. This is very important. And it's usacgtf.com. You can contact us. You can uh, give us your information, and we will respond back within 24 hours. If it's a DCF case or a guardianship case, we're going to take these cases to Congress on a federal legislation level. And that's all okay. I wanted to say. And thank you very much for letting me come on. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Can I read the website again, please? Yes, that's what I was going to ask you. USACGTF.com, all in low caps. Okay. Okay, so USAC like cat, G like girl, T like Tom, and F like Frank. Yes, exactly. Okay. I got it, too. Okay, good. Thank Thank you you. very much, Maggie, for coming on. That's, that's Thank you very, very much helpful. for having me come on. All right. Have a good night. I'm listening okay. on. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. We, uh, Thank you. We have a second caller here. Um, hang on a second. Area code 239 again. Uh, you're live and on the air. Hi. Hi, Marty. This is Hillary Hogue. Hi. How are you? Yes, Hillary. Hi. Good. And, How are you doing? And um, I'm doing. I'm doing well, and Becky is my friend. And I yes. can, I can say that Bec- Becky has suffered more than anyone uh, that I have known concerning her husband Herschel, and I've known her for I would say definitely over a year, and there's never been any red flags. Her story is like none other, but so similar to other wives that have been proactive with their husbands. You know, you go into hospital with mm-hmm. your husband. And you know what's right for your husband, your wife, whoever. But, you know, once you enter a hospital, you have basically uh, no control. 
Uh, Becky has helped so many victims, and um, I love her, and she will get justice with, without, a fa- without a doubt. Uh, I, I, I love Hillary back, and, and I just want to say that this is the woman that, had it not been for her, I would have not known about Sunita Coe's criminal background. She actually, Hillary Hogue, actually picked up the phone and called the ambulance driver. We would have never found out the scheme had it not been for Hillary Hogue. So her work is just unbelievable as well. I mean, there's no, there's no words to what she does. Well, very much for the gift of God. Go I. You know, we've all been in a terrible predicament, some worse than others. I was lucky enough to get my father out of guardianship, but I'll tell you something. Um, it happened for a reason because now I have a purpose in life, and that is to stop the madness. And Becky's helped me so much, you know, with other victims. And um, Marty, thank you for having this show. It, 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 it's been phenomenal. Yes, it Amen. is. It yes. Marcia's do, doing a good job here. Thank you, Marcia. Uh, she okay. Thank you for calling in. We appreciate you calling in, and sorry for what you've been through. I'm glad you were able to save your dad, though. Right, but, right. But that's what it's about. It's about knowing, and it's about sharing the information and helping each other out. And it, it is, Hillary, you're right, it's a journey, and that's why you go that direction once you have seen something like this happen. You can never unsee it, and you can't just keep your mouth shut. You have to warn other people so they don't go through this. That's exactly right. Yes. Um, I will say there's a very, and you mentioned a book. Um, I, I know there's another very good book out there. Uh, medical kidnapping what every american family should know um it tells a lot in there about how the patients are being taken to hospice and i also think that you know because this book was was wrote before covid times that it's important marcia that you share with us are you seeing higher statistics of being taken to hospice due to the lack of beds in the hospitals with COVID? Well, hospice is being brought in to hospitals and into the nursing homes because they are aware of how to get rid of the patients. And so they have brought them into their facilities you know, instead of always moving the people into that, they actually have brought the hospice people in, and they oh, start yeah. the toxic cocktail. Oh, yeah. And it's, I think and I... it's the same. It's a one-size-fits-all. Usually you hear about morphine and Ativan, Haldol, Seroquel, Fentanyl, and these are the drugs that they use, which are horrible drugs. They're the, in many cases, they are the same drugs that they used in Oregon. They did a... Um, uh, informational on this, that the drugs that are used in Oregon to kill prisoners to get in the injections are the same drugs that they are using for this cocktail. They give them something so that they don't have nausea, so they don't throw up because they would throw up the, which would be a problem to begin with, but throw up some of the medicine, and they're giving them morphine, and they test to determine how much it will take to 
eliminate them, and they, it's a horrible, horrible process. That is what they are giving to our people. They're just giving smaller amounts over the three days like they did with your precious Herschel. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it is I know. wrong in every sense to give someone those drugs. It, Herschel was not a criminal. No. You, can't, you should not be able to give those drugs to someone unless they are actively dying, unless they consent to it, their family consents to it, that you tell them what these drugs are going to do. And in many cases, the person's not even in pain, and you don't need to give somebody Ativan unless there is a total reason. And Seroquel and Haldol are used for people that have bipolar or have Tourette's syndrome, why would you give that to patients in the hospital, the hospice patients? Why would you give them a drug that's not even meant for that? Because it's part of the toxic cocktail. It is a way to stop them from being able to swallow, to call out, to cry, and to continue to breathe. It depresses their breathing, and they die from the drugs, starvation, and most of all, dehydration. It's cool. Oh, it is. It is. It's just, it's an awful way to die. And especially when you have an advanced medical directive and you say on that very specifically, I do not want to die that way. I know right. one thing. If if I if that would have been my father, I would have said no. His advanced medical says that that is not the way he wants to die. And I would not have gone along with such a program. I would not have. No, Um, and I would have turned it over to his wife. I would have said, you know, I haven't had any contact with my dad in 16 years. This is his wife. She needs to be making those decisions because at this point she has the murder of her father on her hands. Exactly. And, and, you know, I mean, I guess that was was okay with her. I mean, you know, I mean, I – I wasn't going to get in a discussion with her with her about it. I mean, I just was not. I mean, it, it's you know exactly what you're doing. You know, you know exactly what the advanced medical directive. You know exactly what you said. I don't love him. I mean, right. so you know, I mean, no, there's we don't have anything to say. So I mean, it, you know, just oh, it, it was tragic. I mean, just absolutely tragic. And just like so many of these cases, you know, in Florida. Uh, at one time, they were letting the guardians put place the DNRs on the patients. At least they did take that out of the guardians' hands. But the judges are just as bad. Well, the doctors are doing that. The doctors, in many cases, are signing a DNR. One of the things in Michelle's book, Killing for Profit, there was a situation where a lady did not want to die. She wanted everything to be done for her to keep her alive, and they didn't do it. They went in there and signed a DNR for her after she died. Oh, my god! The doctor's gosh. signing them. Oh, my God. I will have to get that book. I, I, um, I wasn't aware of it, but I'm, I wrote the name. I'm going to get it. Just, so it's, I mean, it well, and it tells you a lot of things that we don't know that's going on in hospice, that, you know, the neglect, the betrayal, the telling them the lies, the deceit. You know, like you were told that they were going to teach you how to use the CPAP, and that that's what you were told when you went there, and then they're laughing at you, we're not going to do that. That's That's not what you're here for. We're going to take him off of it. 
we're gonna we're gonna wean him. Miss Harbor, why do you want your husband to be on a ventilator? Wait a minute, he's not on a ventilator. He's on a CPAP only at night to remove high CO two. He breathes just fine. So I mean, you know, I mean, it's just it, it, it was a battle that was going to be, you know. It was just going to be an awful situation, which it only became escalated. The more power that they get, the worse the situation becomes. If you don't nip that in the bud the minute the APS comes on. Like in, in my situation, Adult Protective Services literally brought in a uh, just a – he'd only been a case management worker two years, knew he had no medical and and he writes up this ridiculous report. I mean, it didn't even make good sense. And then so they bring in a nurse, and it says it's not substantiated. There's nothing here. We can't do anything about this. And they still put a 415 on Herschel. Now, see, if I'd known what I know now, I would have known how to fight that. But at the time, I didn't know. First of all, you're in a state of shock. You can't even believe, what is a 415? I mean, I've never even heard of it. You know what I mean? I was at that point. Right. I, I, my, my husband's dying. I'm alone. I'm out of town. I don't have any family. You're not thinking on legal, on, on research. How am I going to get out of this, you know? That's um, exactly right. And that is yep. what, exactly what they're counting on. Sure. Is that they're going to back you into a corner. They did not want you coming after them. They did not want a lawsuit, and they knew that you had already seen too much. And so they did a yep. 415 on you so they could back you off. It's all part but, of the plan. And it's the all sad part of the plan. thing is the judges are in on it. And exactly. as you found, the police, Henry County Police, were as well, and we've had um, a guest on earlier, uh, Lisa Papineo, and it was the same thing with her in Ohio. The police were in on it, and if you squawk, they will come arrest you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they they want you to lose your credibility. Like they they told you that you couldn't go back to Georgia because they told everybody you were crazy, at all the hospital facilities, and that's how they wound up at the one because nobody would take you because they lied. That's right. That's exactly right. In other words, the social worker at Halifax Hospital, she literally would take control of the situation by saying, well, you know, before he gets there, we want to let you know we've got this wife, and she is trying to take the ventilator from him and kill him. I mean, she literally makes this story up, and so they're like, oh, no, uh-uh, we're not dealing with this. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they, they turn him down. And so then what they do is they say, well, wait a minute, we got a facility that will take him. We, she, it's right by your house. And then, of course, the APS turns a case manager. She lies like you cannot believe. I mean, I've, I've got her on tape six times where she is lying on one in Georgia and then to compare her story in Florida. So it's all on tape, thank God. But, um, but you know, the, the thing about it is there's, there's, there's just um, they're allowed to lie like that, like they take children right and left. You, I'm sure you know about the CPS cases. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And they're supposed to help you, but they're not doing that. Um, you just brought up something that I wanted to for you to bring up is your phone. Your phone went missing. Oh yeah, yeah. He the, the, that was that was the the downfall. I'll never forget it. It was on February twenty second. Uh, there was a um, nurse, and he asked me to step out of the room. He said he wanted to clean Herschel up, and. 
uh, I know that he didn't set this up to be this way because he wouldn't have any idea to know that I was leaving my phone. Uh, but my phone was down on the table, and it took them forever. And I was like, what in the world's going on in there? Well, what it was is they were they were listening to my recordings on my phone and looking at my pictures, and I had pictures that were, I mean, in a lawsuit, they were going to tell a story, let me tell you. Um, and no sheets uh, on it. Yeah, there's no bed. They, they, Herschel never got the luxury of having a sheet on his bed. And they would do that to torture me. They'd say, well, Miss Harbor, we don't have any sheets that will fit this bed. Or that is a sheet. That's just the kind of bed it is. I mean, it was unbelievable, unbelievable. And there was no money to change out his trait collar. Like it should have been changed at least twice a day with the secretions. Well, I took pictures of that with the green coming all out of it and everything, no wonder he kept Pseudomonious Klebsiella because, I mean, it was it was a filthy, dirty facility. I had pictures of the bathroom toilet with scum all around it. I had a picture of a, well, I can't say a lot of it, but I had pictures. And, that, that would, and so he, that, he, that afternoon when I came back up for my visit, that same nurse met me, and he says, I want you to know that management has seen all those pictures on your phone and that um, that upper management has seen it. He says, go in there and see your husband. And the way he said it, I knew it was going to be for the last time, and it was. I went there the next morning, and I was told, you know, you're being trespassed from this hospital. Mm-hmm. I, they, they didn't even let me get my car off of the lot. I had to pay $105 to get my car towed off the lot. Because they wouldn't let you come pick it up. No. He said, you get off it. He said, you see that fence? You walk off that fence right now or we're going to arrest you. And I said, you have my husband. And he said, and, and, and he says, um, uh, well, he says, uh, the hospital has the right to trespass you. And I, and, and I now know that they did not have the right to trespass me, that there was a court order saying that I had visitation with my husband. And in order to, to void that court order, they had to go to the judge. So they didn't even have the power, the hospital nor APS. And they just lied. They just That's lied. That's a surprise. I'm so shocked. They lied. Um, I want to open it up. If you select one on your phone, if you want to make a comment or if you have a question, then um, Marty will bring you in the queue if anybody else there has a question. So um, APS, we we talked earlier about APS not bringing them in because when you do, you put your loved one on the radar. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that my neighbor had told me, you know, when my dad was living with us for over four years, and she had said, well, you can get money for that because he's not in a facility, and if you let them know, Medicare will pay you money because you're keeping them at him at the home, and they will give you a check each month. And I'm, like, not interested because it puts him on a radar. So yes. if you're going to cost money, I hate to say it because, you know, for years you pay in to this so that you have this when you get older. But if you're going to cost money, you go on a radar. And if they told you, and, and like with my mom, if they had told me that, you know, we're going to end her life because we're not going to, she's been here for over eight months and she was recertified and we just can't continue to pay, we would have paid personally if we had to put the house on the market or 
you know, borrow money against the house, we would have done that to have kept her safe. But they don't give you that option. They just don't tell you what is going on. And it is about money, but majority of us, if we could, you would do whatever you could to find the money so that they didn't kill your loved one. But you're not given that option. You're not. You're not given that option. That's exactly right. And in your case, they charged you money plus they got the Medicare and they got the insurance. Now, you and I briefly talked about this, but you're not done. Oh, no. Don't count you out because you still have evidence, and though I'd like to say you have the law behind you, I've seriously questioned the law many times, but you're not done. They went across state lines and did things they shouldn't have done, and the care that Herschel received was sorely inadequate. So... Well, an autopsy. Uh, in other words, so yes. so when 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 I got the call at three thirty in the morning, it was from his daughter, and you know she just said basically that he died. And so after that, the next day I said, "Where is my husband's body?" And um, she and she says, um, "I'll let something about I'll let you know when." when I can or something. I was like, no, 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 I want to know now. Because you are no longer the guardian. You are no longer in control. And this is my husband, and I want his body. Because I was terrified that he would be cremated because he that was really a strong wish that he never be cremated. So I was terrified because I'd heard so many horror stories on how they cremate the body. Mm-hmm. And so, so as found out where his body was through uh, my funeral home uh, that in Folkestone, Georgia, because that's where he was going to be taken and so eventually uh, from Atlanta. So he said he's at a morgue, and he's in um, whatever county. I, it's, it's somewhere near here. And so I called the, the fella and uh, said that I wanted an autopsy done, and, and I told him where to take the body, and he said – I don't understand. This would be the morgue owner. I don't know why you want an autopsy. Most people that have a husband that's coming from hospice, they know how they died. I was like, yeah, I do know how he died, but I want an autopsy done. And you can either take the body there or you can, you know, take it somewhere else. I don't care which one you do. And so anyway, um, it, it became heated between him and I, and he said to me, you're threatening me, and I said, I'm threatening you? What are you talking about? I'm not threatening you. And I started to see, uh-oh, he's in on it too. And so finally he consented to take the body for the autopsy at the Gwinnett County Medical Examiner, and the body was autopsied, and he brought it back. And then when I got to Folkestone, Georgia, she, the daughter had already been down there and had, you know, bad mouthed me down there in this small little town and demanded to come to the funeral, said she wanted to be there when her daddy was put in the ground. Well, no, no, you put him in the ground. You were there to see him take his last breath. You are not about to stand over his body with me. I can promise you that one. And so, no. And so I told the funeral director, um, you can... You can uh, have her own private funeral. I'll pay for it. I don't care, but she's not standing over my husband's body with me. 
and because I knew that my husband would not agree with what she had done. And mm-hmm. so at right. the end of the day, I buried him privately. Which was your prerogative. That's right. But tell tell our listeners about his bed sores and what they said he died from. He died of sepsis, and the death certificate said he died of cancer. He no more had cancer than my neighbor next door. He he didn't have cancer, and he had just had a full PET scan done six months prior, but I knew that he didn't have cancer. And so I called the medical examiner's office in downtown Atlanta, and they tried to give me resistance by saying that he had been on chemotherapy. Well, remember, I hadn't seen him in seven months, so my thoughts are, have they lied to me? I mean, you know, at first they had me. Then I went through all the medical records, and I called back, and I said, no, that's not what my husband died of. He died of sepsis. Do you know that they ref- – now, they knew that, they, that he had had four four-stage wounds into the bone, and that's what he died of, and they refused to put that on that death certificate. But, of course, the autopsy, which will be back in a few days, because I've had to wait almost four months for it, will state – because I already know the preliminary that he died of sepsis, and he and he so his life could have been saved with antibiotics. So he died of sepsis, and the the wounds there was four of them that you could literally put your fist through. They were to the bone, and so grotesque that even a nurse that saw the autopsy, there's 114 pictures, said, "I've been doing this 30 years, and that was tough for me to look at." She said wow. this is one of the she said this is the worst case of abuse and neglect I've ever seen. You have so, the pictures but you're yes. not going to look at them, right? No, I have all 114, but I have a, I've chose not to look at them yet. I, I will would not. Do, no, I would not. That will well, be no, something you can never unsee, Becky. Uh well, I've already you, you seen can't. I've already seen one of the wounds and it was Yeah, but you know, I, but, I would not. Yeah, don't don't. I would not. I just think that's something. You will have them, but that's something you can never unsee, and you can't go back and change it now. Fight your battle, but don't okay. add more horror to you. You've been through enough. Well, like I said, um, I learned survival techniques. You know, I, I learned, like when, when Halifax would take me to a window and say, see there, there's the mental institute. That's where we put all our mental patients. I knew that my husband would have been put there, that the only reason he wasn't there was because he was on a ventilator. See? So um, I would learn to, you know, like just, I would just ignore them. Or when they would make fun of my clothes or throw ice on me or put fake blood in the trait collar, like with red food coloring. It was horrifying what I went through at this state-run hospital, horrifying. But I learned to survive by turning it off. So, you know, and in like of my, of my, of his daughter, I just like, you know, I'm going to pray for you because that's the only way I can survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to pray for you because, and, you know, and, and believe in karma. You know, and let the Lord take care of the situation because there's nothing I can do about it, not without going to jail, right? Right, right. And and that would not help anything. And then you couldn't no. help the other, you know, the other spouses no. in Florida that you're, you know, doing an excellent job helping. That's and right. With, and 
yeah. with um, Peggy calling in and giving you that um, website, I think that's going to be wonderful. Um, who is Peggy? Peggy Dupree. And okay. she's she, from what I understood, and Marty, you can jump in here because you probably know more, but she said she had gone through um, similar situation and they yes. created their guardianship task force. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It's because, and she deals a lot with Florida. And um, in fact, her case actually, her cause actually originates from there. Uh, but this lady is a go-getter and she is determined to get legislation in front of the Senate. Let me, let me pull her up here. Hang on just a second here. Oh, she's listening in. Peggy? Yes. Peggy? Yeah. Uh, yes. You, you want to fill in here and let her know what you're doing and why? Yeah, I'm a victim, uh, like Becky is, of fraudulent guardianship. My, hus- uh, my son was uh, taken from North Carolina, put in a fraudulent guardianship in the state of Florida, and put in a hospital where the judge and my attorney and the opposing attorney did a secret protective order to conceal what they had did to him in the hospital. That way they could be sued, which what they do is take the funds from DCF Trust Fund, it's called, and they took my parents' rights away from me. And my son is not even a, a resident of Florida, and the judge were, was out of her jurisdiction. So to make the story short, it's federal kidnapping, it's racketeering just like Becky's case is. So... You know, we started this uh, business because we realized that there's thousands upon thousands of people that's in the same situation as we are in charge and guardianship, and no one is really doing anything about it. Everyone's talking about reform. How can you reform human sex trafficking? How can you reform people being owned by the state? You can't. They have to be abolished. Our company believes that we must abolish the guardianship programs in DCF that's harming the public. You know, these people do not get a jury trial. They do not get due process. They do, if they have disabilities or uh, dementia, they don't. They don't even follow the American with Disabilities uh, Act. You know, they're violating federal and state uh, uh, statutes. The judges are the problem. From the data research I have done, and it goes to the attorneys and it goes to the physicians. The the two people that I blame the most is the physicians are writing fraudulent reports against the families that are not true. There's no way to prove the, the family's abuse of the person because you don't get due process, you don't get a jury trial. Whatever that doctor says, that's what gets put on the uh, report. It goes to the judge. The judge signs it. So what they do is a lot of people don't understand. And these guardianship judges get kickbacks. They have additional funding that gets allocated to that county if a person gets put in the hospital and these judges get a higher salary each time they get these patients in the hospital. And then if they get them under DCF, they get lots of other grant money. It's unbelievable the amount one person can, uh, uh, they can make off of one person millions of dollars. It is unbelievable the racketeering going into these guardianships and there's no oversight and no accountability and people are being murdered and kill rape and human sex trafficking, and we want to abolish it to protect the victims and the families. And we want remedies for the families, and we want no statute of limitation because a lot of times you don't realize it, 
that, you know, just like you mentioned, uh, Becky, that, you know, we don't go in being educated. You know, when you're a victim and you're distraught and you're alone, you're not thinking about bad things are doing to you. You're just thinking about the moment. Your husband's in severe distress. He needs your help, you know. You want to keep your husband alive at all costs, and they're praying that you're thinking that way so they can take advantage of you. And that is what they're doing to every single victim, the same M.O. I listen over and over on Marty's show. It's unbelievable. So we need to abolish the guardianship, and we need to have, and we need to allocate those funds into a trust for families who will be able to use it if they need it because there's so much criminal activity going on, and they have immunity, and we need to abolish immunity. Judges have legislation on the books that they are allowed to harm you, and it's even in the legislation that states they're allowed to do whatever they want as long as they are sitting in that black road on that bench. That's not acceptable. That needs to be abolished. If you commit a crime against anyone, you should go to jail. If it's federal, you should go a federal uh, felony. Uh, and that's what we're doing. We're, we're taking it on a federal legislation. We're working with senators, and I'm doing policy and procedures right now. But at the moment, I'm doing data research, but I'm doing a petition to Congress because I'm having the phones constantly ringing off the hook of people coming in that's victimized either from DCF abuse or guardianship abuse. So we're first going to do a uh, petition to Congress. It's coming up in the next two weeks, and I'll be now announcing on Marty's show. I'm going all over the country advertising this, too. And, and then we're going to take it to another step, and we're going to do a policy. To, to start taking down these bad judges and these physicians and these attorneys. They're getting by with killing people and these guardianships and DCS, and there's nobody doing anything about it. And that is what our company is about. We're not like the other advocacy groups. I'm completely against this. I'm not for reform whatsoever. No. No reform. There's a, how do you reform a crime? Exactly. Well, well, well let me uh, let me let me ask you this: um, the the the, um, the Senate is is in uh, in Tallahassee. No, yeah, the senators are in Tallahassee right now for the next two months. Do you see? From what I've heard, is the senators were were willing to listen, but the House is the one that says no, you're not coming in. Have you heard anything to that? extent no what i have done is i went through the senate bill 1032 and the hr 845 and i wrote to the governor ron DeSantos, telling him i oppose these two bills and why i oppose the two bills and i go in detail report i've given to him and i've i told him do not do executive order because you know the fbi is investigating some of my cases so if he does this order i'm going to go public with it and i have lots of media coverage on this so hopefully he won't he won't approve these two Senate bills because these two Senate bills will endanger the public. And it will cause more racketeering. That was, that was is, 1032, is, and what was the other one? It's a H.R. 845. It's the Florida uh, uh, Guardianship Act, that one is. Okay. 
Now, is one of them where they want to seal the records like in Georgia? You are you cannot see daylight from dark on how many guardianships are being taken. But in Florida, it's pretty transparent. If I wanted to go in and see how many Judge Hudson has this month in Belusia, I could do it. But but not so in Georgia. Is that what the the goal is to seal them in Florida, right? Well, right now that Senate bill is in a pending state. Now, they have realized there's a lot of people watching these Senate bills going through, and a lot of people are opposing it. So this 1010 is a very dangerous Senate bill. So I oppose that as well. But it, right now, it has not died on the uh, docket. What it's done is it's went through the Judicial um, Committee for them to review it, and then we're going to see what they're going to do. So right now, they're not saying anything about Senate Bill 1010, but... I have a, a hunch if this 1032 and HR 45 goes, they will put that back up for a proposal again. And I'm fighting to keep the 1032 and the 845 from being passed. Okay. Okay. Well, and when will you know? At the end of this two months? No, I should be hearing back from the governor within about seven days. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay, girls, we've only got a minute and a half left here. Okay, you've got about a minute and a half left here. Okay, and that's what we're doing. Hope I answered all your questions. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. I'll put you in touch with Peggy. Okay. Okay. Okay, so this has been an excellent program tonight, Becky. You have um, opened up um, a lot of good information about APS, things that I was not aware of. And fortunately, you know, Peggy called in and we've got, you know, somebody else that's also fighting against guardianship. So to our audience, this is going on, the guardianship, and then they go into hospice, they deplete all the funds, they go through their estate, And even, as you've seen, without having a signed DNR and with having a medical power of attorney, you can still get caught in bad situations. Um, One other group that I didn't mention is Life Legal Defense Foundation, and and it's the whole word, lifelegaldefensefoundation.org. And they also, they have attorneys that they, throughout all of the states, that sometimes they can, if you reach out to them, they can also help if you've got someone in a situation and you're trying to get them out of that facility. So that's another resource that you can have. Um, Becky, is there anything else that you wanted to add? No, thank you so much for your time. God bless the both of you for what you do. Well, thank you for coming on and sharing your story, and I hope that the listeners got something out of this, a little nugget, and we'll proceed with caution. Always, knowledge is power. And we'll be back in two weeks with another guest. So thank thank you you to everyone for listening tonight, and thank you, Becky. Thank you. Thank you, Marty. Thank you. Good night. Okay. Good Good night. night.